Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today for the third in our series of Digital Asset Management Deep Dive webinars. Today, we're gonna to be looking at requirements gathering, understanding DAM complexity, and what do you want from your DAM system? Next slide, please, Sean. Thank you. My name is Mark Davey. I am the founder of IQ Equity and also the founder of the Codify Consultant. And I'd like to introduce my DAM experts today, starting with you, Fred. Say hello. Yeah, thank you all. And so very delighted to work uh, for this third webinar to share knowledge and best practices. And so I'm the CEO of Activo Consulting, providing consultancy for brands, retailers, agencies alongside uh, DAM projects. And so let me now introduce you uh, super well-known, James. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Good morning. Uh, my name is James. I've been working with Mark for around seven years now. I helped him to build the Codified Consultant. And I'll pass on to the lead of our webinar today, Sean. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Sean. Um, I've been working in digital asset management product information management and multi-channel publishing uh, for many years now. And uh, today, the third of our webinar series, we're going to be talking about requirements gathering. The current situation, what areas you need to focus on, uh, some of the tools we have available to assist in the process, and some tips on creating a requirements document. Okay, the early stages of requirements gathering process should ideally involve a survey with your end users and stakeholders. You need to align the must haves, could haves and should haves from across your organization. This direct engagement with your end users and their involvement in the process results in a list of requirements that reflect the desires and expectations for DAM implementation. You're creating a deeper understanding of what you and each of your end users are looking for, both in terms of a DAM system and overall organisational architecture. In the end, this helps you to identify the best suited vendors for your needs. A common thing we see as consultants when it comes to requirements is that many companies ask vendors to fill out a lengthy RFP, RFI or RFQ, which are a request for proposal, information or quotation. We see many issues with this from both the client and vendor perspective. Throughout this webinar series, we've highlighted the importance of preparatory work um, and from a client perspective, RF, RFPs, uh, as we'll call them from now, so I don't have to say all those acronyms over and over again, um, are often sent out before preparatory work is done and before the client has a real idea of what is available across the industry. So the client is restricted to asking a subset of questions based on what they already know about DAM or what they know about the vendor. This can be a painstaking process for the client who may have limited knowledge of DAM and not understanding how things could be 
leads to a failure in asking the right questions. You're relying heavily on trust instead of seeing functionality in action. You also gain little hands-on experience of the software if, if you reduce the amount of demonstrations you see. You often fail to get a real understanding of the vendor from a cultural or intangible perspective. Are they a good fit? Does their ethos align with my company ethos? If RFPs are used as the only source of information on vendors, or used as a replacement for demos and head-to-head -head comparisons, you're unlikely to get a well-rounded view of the vendor capabilities, strengths and weaknesses. So from the vendor's perspective, RFPs can often feel impersonal, badly prepared or overly time-consuming. A vendor may have to commit significant resources, time and effort into responding, and based on the answers they provide, may not even be considered for further evaluation. The lack of direct contact means that vendors are unable to show off or truly demonstrate their strengths and unique selling points. With unrealistic expectations from clients to ask the wrong questions, vendors may drop out of the race when they're actually a good fit. A lack of information on both sides can be detrimental to both clients and vendors. Clients may not be aware of something that will benefit them and vendors may only realise a long way down the line that they're not suitable for the client requirements. And without the ability to find workarounds or unique approaches to solve issues, vendors may simply be counted out. Uh, Fred, I think you'd like to say a few words on this. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Thanks, Ansoor. Uh, definitely before going in deep with your uh, basic requirements, uh, this is one of the steps uh, you can uh, RFI, RFP. Uh, and as we said during the last webinar, the purpose is not to, to get some dream of a Ferrari, uh, to put everything together. Uh, this, is not, this is not Christmas time. And so you just need to put, based on the discovery, everything you need for what you have to do. And from the vendor side, it's also important to uh, try to understand the gap analysis, try to understand the needs of, of the customer in order to provide the right solution with the best right. Thank you, Fred. Some excellent points as always there. So, we don't know what we don't know. Even as damn professionals, consultants, or vendors, we can't say for certain that we have experience of every nuance of every damn project. Each is unique, each is complicated, and each takes time, effort, and careful planning. So let's dig a little deeper into the areas you, sh you should think about when building a requirements document. Let's start with the first thing you'll encounter during a demonstration, which is the user interface and overall user experience. We tend to find that UI and UX is focused on either too much or too little. Don't choose something that looks nice at the expense of functionality or capability. 
also don't overlook the importance of how a dam system looks and feels. But be aware there'll be a number of different use cases in your company and allowing a particular department to push their choice through may not please everyone. Striking a balance between a solid functioning dam and one that all your users can use is paramount and it's hugely important to have a system that end users enjoy using. To better ensure user buy-in, be sure to get hands-on experience when you can. Utilise testing, demo instances and head-to-heads when you get down to a shortlist of vendors. Be aware that there's a lot of variability across the industry in terms of UI personalization, the ability to add your branding, your company logos, and the depth to which you can uh, localize interfaces and metadata. So now you've seen how the dam looks, you need to think about how to access it. The way we access software and content content is uh, constantly changing and as such it's important that a dam system provides a wide range of different ways to access it. Most people would expect to have global 24-7 access to the dam. This is a shift we've seen since the move from on-premise to cloud-based systems. Best practice um, is the dam allows for role-based, multi-device, desktop and web-based access and that some form of single sign-on or automated authentication uh, is possible. I'd just like to jump in there if I could, Sean. Yeah, yeah. go for it, James. <clears throat> just, um, just building on the points you've made um, and just to say that we, can't, we live in a world now where everyone expects to just press a button on their phone and gain access to all of the data that they hold in, in every walk of life. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the dam industry in places has kind of lagged behind in, in that regard. Um, <clears throat> we saw it with a, a shift towards HTML5 a few years ago and um, the, the multi-device aspect of, of access is, is kind of still not, 100% there across the board so it's, it's definitely something to keep in mind when you um, when you're thinking about requirements yeah sure James yeah totally agree and for example access on a mobile phone you know you can obviously view your assets and maybe do a little bit but your screen real estate doesn't allow you to sort of do much more so you know it's uh, is that any use really but, yeah. yeah anyway Moving on to rights, roles and positions. Uh, system security, firewalls and such like are obviously important in operating any software platform. But managing security on the dam itself, governed by roles, permissions and user management on the one hand and rights management on the other, both rights management and roles and permissions involve restricting what people can see and do. Well, they differ in that roles and permissions relate to what users can do within the dam environment, whereas rights management 
applies to what users can do outside of the dam environment. Again, best practice would be to consider both when choosing a dam system, looking specifically at what can be achieved with permissions at the asset level and how granular you can get at the metadata level. You'll also need to consider the internal and the external impact of rights management on the dam. Search and navigation. A major issue that leads people to dam is findability. An issue mainly due to poorly constructed taxonomies and control vocabularies. Without any underlying metadata um, structures, the search options available are less capable of finding assets when running a search. Best practice for searching is that the dam should have the ability to create search queries, parameters and filters, or in other words, advanced search functionality. The ability to configure search facets based on metadata to ensure easy navigation through the dam. Employ methods where inexact search terms yield results such as fuzzy search and autocomplete and text that is indexed from documents so it becomes searchable in itself. A range of uh, more intelligent search capabilities are now available. With the advent of content-based image retrieval, artificial intelligence, machine learning, machines can deduce the content of assets and produce metadata, tags, and potential categories that assets could be assigned to without any human input. Sure, and I'd just like to add a point there about AI and machine learning. A lot of companies feel that they are going to actually do the tagging just through magic instances. But unless you get your data models, <clears throat> excuse me, your taxonomy and your control vocabularies and meta standards in place, AI and machine learning is a dead duck unless they can feed off of good data. It's a... Uh, we see a lot of snake oil around there in the industry and a lot of people buy these things thinking it's going to do all the work for them and uh, effectively it doesn't unless the data models are sound. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely Mark. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's still, there's still got to be a human sitting there checking everything's okay. So <laughs> exactly. it's, it's not a complete safety net. <laughs> yeah. We're not quite there yet with uh, telepathy. Okay. Um, Let's talk about asset and metadata handling uh, and the ability to convert your assets and files into different formats uh, and transform and transcode them for different uses. This It's fundamental to DAM and really what sets it apart from other storage mediums. This area covers a wider range of functionality and considerations uh, rather than just transformation and transcoding. Touches on sharing, curation, production and publishing and all other workflows involved in creating, editing and transforming assets. Considerations for your organisation though may depend, uh, differ depending on the asset type. Uh, as an example, video handling has unique requirements. Due in part to the size of video files are massive, uh, but also by the potential complexity 
of data found in a single video file. But companies who handle assets capably also consider the associated metadata, how it travels with the assets, how it's used to trigger workflows, enforce expiry dates or similar, where it's stored and in what format. Again, the importance of taxonomies and vocabularies can never be understated. Well-managed and maintained metadata structures are what support effective creation, curation and delivery of assets to precisely where they're needed. Yeah, maybe I would just say one thing regarding the creative tools because <clears throat> it's, it's so important today. And <clears throat> of course, design and creativity can be here, cannot be here. Uh, you cannot do everything inside the dam. So most of the time you have to be back on Adobe desktop applications. And just sometimes uh, some of the plugins have to be uh, more intelligent because you need to support much more than just uh, uh, download the assets, uploading the assets again. You have to, a couple of things as you're um, were explaining, managing revisions. Uh, uh, creative files are very complex. You can get some very complex Photoshop files, very large files, very high, high resolutions, yeah. uh, high definition vectors. So a lot of things that uh, sometimes it's so it's very important to check that everything is working fine, just like the check-in check-out between the dam system and the it, it at the end of the day it uh, it has to work and you need to bring some some intelligence inside the workflow. Yeah, sure, Fred. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, which moves us on to workflow. Yeah. Um, which it's a broad and very complex category. Um, and which largely depends on the type and particular needs of your particular organization. Uh, be aware though that DAM is not generally known as a workflow centric medium. Although you'll find some degree of workflow capacity in every true DAM system. You should expect to see upload workflows, review and approval workflows, and possibly the ability to annotate and comment. Past that, you may need to look at add-ons, plugins, or integrations with other systems to carry the workflow burden. But- I'd just like to add a point there, Sean. Yeah, sure. When we see third-party tools and you see vendors that have the same third-party tools, the expectation is the tool's gonna work the same way. Buyer beware, it really does depend on the level of integration with the DAM system and the third party tool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. And I will, maybe I will add at the top something because I see too often that uh, I see with some customers, okay, we are searching for a workflow tool, but at the end of the, at the, end of the day, just a simple uh, metadata, yes, no. Uh, if we really want to uh, map a business uh, what's, what we are calling the business process mapping of the customers, it's much more than a single metadata. It's uh, a couple of milestones between different stakeholders with different roles. So it's much more complex. And if this is uh, the, the only way to, to deliver the solution is to really to be able to, to do the, the right job. Okay, and so uh, I, I do agree with integration. Uh, I would say to the vendors, don't rave on the wheel. If somebody can do better the job than you, it's much more just just be smart. Exactly, exactly, Fred. 
thank you, Fred and, and Mark. Um, dams should always serve as a staging point for workflow. Uh, obviously, it's where assets reside um, at near to the start of the asset life cycle. Um, dam will always serve as a launching point for downstream applications and delivery methods. It's, it's crucial that Dam manages a single version of the truth, um, even if the bulk of the workflow is carried out elsewhere. Um, so we'll move on to analytics and monitoring. Um, these are becoming requirements that are moving to the top of many requirement lists. There's a lot of variability here. Some vendors only offering an audit download so that data can be analysed externally, while others uh, offer a full-blown reporting, analytics and visualisation package with an interactive dashboard. Some vendors tend to focus on what we would term as global data, such as logins, uploads, downloads, etc. Whereas others dig right into workflow, asset usage search, and other more detailed data, which can offer you far greater insights into how the dam has been used. And increasingly, there's a need to track and analyze data for asset usage uh, external to the dam. Uh, for example, websites and social media posts, although this depth of analysis is um, not yet widely available. Yeah, I think I'll just... Um... encouraging vendors to uh, explore the data element as we see more master data management and more PIM integrations happening within DAM as well. Sorry, James, I'll cut across you. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> I was just going to add that it is moving to the top of requirements lists, but just a word of warning is to, to manage expectations around this. Um, I think that a lot of people expect a lot more than what's, what's available. Yeah. And um, so, you know, being realistic and, and getting an, an idea of what's present in the industry is really important with the, with this area, I, I feel. Yeah, and something maybe we can add is regarding the workflow we're talking just before. Uh, I'm always surprised when I see analytics from a dam system because it's more or less the same as 10 years ago. Uh, if I'm a stakeholder of a company, or uh, okay, it's uh, it's nice to see that the dam is use, the dam usage, who is who is doing what, etc. Downloads, uploads, but it's nothing about the ROI. And if you're looking at how people are working today, we have workflow management, we have custom metadata at the top of assets, projects, you have connection with your ERP system, et cetera. Nothing that I would say basic KPIs can do. And most KPIs, damn KPIs are not able to, to handle the job. So this is the reason why I'm more talking now about BI, because you need to be able to aggregate something as, as a cube of analytics we have a lot of metadata coming from everywhere and the dam should be able to display, okay, in just one dashboard, I can see where are my bottlenecks, where I can, where I can change my process because I've got some pain or things like that. And it's much more relevant than the number of uploads, downloads that 
at the end of the day, we don't care. Yeah. 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 So anyway, talking about analytics and data, uh, I'm going to hand over to Mark now, who talk you through how we gather data for requirements gathering. So, thank you, Sean. Is there another way? The Codified Consultant started out as a way to codify our knowledge and experience as both analysts and consultants, and is a big driver behind its development was simply the process of requirements gathering. Removing the industry reliance on RFQs and RFPs, we found that many questions are shared across projects and a lot of time could be saved by having the answer to those questions up front. Makes sense. And crucially, by having this information before even approaching the vendors, time and resources could be better spent and more meaningful discussions could be had. Next slide, please. Maybe we go full screen on that. Give that a go. Thank you. Um, codifying our knowledge helps both clients and vendors alike. Our data qualifies the question layers, aggregates the needs, nice-to-haves, must-haves, unsures, and helps create a strategy based off the previous steps in the previous webinars, gap analysis and resource audits, for example. Our process is always form-based, and you're seeing a form, someone's filling it out, whether they have a lot of knowledge or a little bit of knowledge, we aggregate that information. The acquired data is then collected in our relational databases, and then we produce landing pages to expose the express client needs. In tune, the data we hold with the Tenco analysis is mapped to vendor capability, which you will see in subsequent webinars. Using this methodology, we can help clients expand the reach and scope of their dam initiatives and move the maturity needle very quickly. Indeed, the lengthy process of starting from scratch, building the appropriate documents and sending out to vendors is actually no longer needed. Future state is embedded into this strategy as the questions are created by us, the DAM experts, and the relational databases express which vendors have your requirements covered and which vendors you should get in for a demo. It also helps with governance and change management. Hopefully we will see that we have an aggregated list, a landing page here that's showing we have a number of clients that are looking at each aspect of the requirements. So we aggregate that information and make our analysis map to vendor capability. This really helps stakeholders who do not have the skill sets all the time to study the complexity that is DAM. The 38 accredited vendors who have passed the 10 core characteristics of DAM are fit for a multitude of specific use cases. The data we hold on them is kept regularly up to date. Questions the clients may ask are answered and strengths, weaknesses and USPs are highlighted. The fact we have a current fail rate of 32% so that it's not easy to test, to pass our test. We only work with accredited vendors and the 10 core test means they are truly damn capable. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah, uh, great demo of that, thanks. Which shows even though, if I, even though I do say so myself, our lovely system. <laughs> okay, so we've looked at some of the ref functional requirements for the dam within the dam. Uh, a couple of other considerations that you should be aware of. Yeah, the video's playing again. Oh, yeah, you can it, mate. Well, there we go. 
technical specifications. Tech specs can be a deal breaker in many dam acquisitions uh, with companies maybe restricted to a particular operating system, code base or database. And it's obviously important that your technical needs align with your chosen dam vendor. However, it's always worth a discussion with vendors to find workarounds when, uh, for example, a certain database or coding language or API might be needed. Always remember that metadata is the core of any dam. So something we always advise our clients to do is look closely at how assets and their metadata are delivered between different platforms. And it's likely you'll need to test this in action. We've seen projects fail halfway through on the transfer of assets and metadata in part due to inadequate testing. And then we've got the intangibles. Uh, functionality, obviously, and tech specs are important when making hardware and software decisions. Uh, but don't overlook the softer details about a vendor. Acquiring a dam uh, is a start of a long-term relationship where you work closely with a vendor and grow together as companies. And as such, it's important you establish your cultural fit and look closely at the relationships a vendor has with its existing customers. And in addition to this, uh, you'll need to consider the vendor roadmap or where the vendor sees themselves and your relationship in the future. When we evaluate vendors, we only take note of roadmaps for th three months out. If a vendor says it's going to be delivered in Q4 and you are at Q1, you need to take care not to be held up for a feature which is a must have for your strategy. It can, you know, this can and does cause a lot of strain for client and vendor relations. Um, so we're going to hand over to James now, who's going to talk briefly. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe Sorry, I ben, want to just something. Yeah. Yeah, just one, one thing. I, because, uh, of course, as all of us, uh, I like and we like spending so much time on customer side. And I, I was just out of a meeting. And it was all about uh, because we just, uh, uh, more or less, we are at the end of our of damn project. And one of the things the customer was saying is all about the innovation. And it's truly it's so important today. Uh, the other thing I will... I will also highlight regarding this partnership between the vendor and the customer is a partnership. I will say some of the main sentence coming from a CDO or a customer, partnership is driving the innovation, which means that if you see that your vendor uh, is not really connected to your, uh, the world of today, uh, trying to fix the things, just like as Steve Jobs was seeing, trying to do some engineering uh, tips and tricks, and then to try to sell the ID. Now, this is not the wrong way. <clears throat> the right way is to sit alongside your customers, try to learn from how it's working, and then back to your, your engineers and try to, to fix, to, to, to make something that uh, fits the expectations of a customer. And this is relationship is so important. Partnerships, innovations, and if you don't see 
in both of these items, maybe you have your password. Yeah, yeah, very good points, Fred. Thank you. Um, so we're going to now move on, uh, and James is going to take over for a bit and briefly talk about the 10 core characteristics of DAM, which we'll detail later in uh, the webinar series. But for now, off you go, James. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I will, I will keep it brief. I'm, I'm conscious of the time. Um, so we, we've mentioned 10 core a few times and the 10 core characteristics of DAM was born out of conversations um, that we had with industry professionals in 2014 and IQ Equity devised a standardised evaluation around the characteristics. And some of the main goals that we had originally were to define best practice and standards for the DAM industry and to prevent misuse of the term DAM um, by systems that weren't capable of core functionality and to share impartial knowledge and the collective experience of, of those involved. <clears throat> and we wanted to drive the industry as a whole forwards. So the 10 core is actually broken down into a total of 22 variables and there's a lot of overlap with the functional requirements and that we've spoken about today and i felt like it was a a, a good time to to mention about 10 core and just say that we have a white paper that we wrote a few years ago on how to build a strategy using the 10 core as a framework and um that will be sent out to the participants after the webinar. Uh, thank you, Sean. Okay, great. Thanks, James. So maybe, uh, yeah, just on the 10 core, uh, one thing I can tell you to, uh, to bring knowledge and awareness for, uh, for our attendees is, I, I, I meet uh, so many customers asking, do we have a damn standard today? Okay. And to be honest, because I'm running this work since the last years, uh, it's, it's always a challenge to, to say how we can start, but definitely if you can start from this 10 core characteristic, and as we said, not all vendors are passing uh, correctly here, uh, this certification. So you can be sure that you have a good candidate at the end because more or less you can, you can drive most of your business requirements for it. Yeah, that's that's right. It's a good it's a good place to start, and that, that's why I've, I felt like we should share this white paper with the participants, yeah. and it'll give them a good basis to um, to start. Yeah, absolutely, totally, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, so, on to the final part of the webinar, would like to offer some advice on creating a requirements document. Uh, a good requirements document does involve a lot of work. <laughs> Be aware of that. Um, and as a, as a dam manager or head of the project, you will need to carry out a lot of research. Um, the initial research will involve looking at the dam industry, what's available, and dam vendors working in your vertical. And it will also definitely involve extensive research within your own company. Uh, this will be a lot easier if you've already identified stakeholders and have a dedicated damn team. 
it's important to know the business units using DAM and the business units whose lives might be made easier through the use of DAM. Aligning, again, the must-haves, should-haves and could-haves along different business units is the key. You're always unlikely to get 100% of what you want from any DAM vendor. So be flexible where you can and be aware that there are sometimes workarounds to missing functionality. The document itself should be collaborative and should be subject to change. You're likely to need several drafts and will need to adapt to changing requirements along the way or the acquisition of new knowledge. But remember to manage expectations and to return to an earlier metaphor, don't go looking for a spaceship when you can barely drive a minute. And finally, take your time, have plenty of meetings, gain as broad a perspective as you can, ask questions, and never assume you know everything about how your company operates. And that is requirements gathering. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Sean. Can we go to the final slide, please? Sure. So this is just quick. Sorry, we've run over time. We we're very chatty today. So uh, if you had to drop out, there will be a video available as well as the white paper mentioned by James. We are due to appear again on the 7th of July for governance, data models, rights and permissions. I hope you can join us for that. And again, because you've attended, we will provide a video. On the 21st of July, we are going deep into use case scenarios, how they get mapped to requirements, to governance, to vendor analysis. And then finally, the big part, the role of enterprise digital, asset, digital transformation and digital asset management's role as a metadata engine on the 4th of August. Once again, I'd like to thank the experts and I'd like to thank you for attending and I hope this has been useful to everybody. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks, everybody.